BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ditch the clowns on the left. And the jokers on the right. And join Michael Smirkanish right here in the middle. This is the Smirkanish podcast for independent minds. Philadelphia and the surrounding suburbs is, is all I know. It has always been home for me. I grew up in one suburb. I went to college in another suburb albeit a little bit distant, but still what I would regard as a suburb. Then I moved into the city and lived in the city for a decade, got married. My wife and I moved out to a different suburb, and that's where we've raised our four children. So I have, I've been very fortunate in that I'm in the media and never had to kick around from market to market to market. This is it. I do this nationwide radio program from Philadelphia. I do my CNN program from Philadelphia. It's all I've ever known. And and here in Philadelphia, where I've spent my 60 years, one local network affiliate has always dominated the television ratings. It's Channel 6. It's the ABC affiliate, WPVI. I once had a relationship with them. They had a... Uh, I'm embarrassed to tell you I'm not sure if the show is still on the air. Obviously, I'm no longer a part of it. But there was a, a Sunday morning talk program that focused on local issues for 30 minutes. It was a very big deal to me to be added to that uh, that rotation back in the day. Action News is also where my mentor, Larry Kane, was once the lead anchor. And then after Larry and for a long, long time until very recently, it's Jim Gardner who was the face of Action News. And if you grew up in Philadelphia, believe me, the theme song of Action News is ingrained. Like, you hear that and you know. Yeah, Action News, the tip line. I I don't watch the local news the way that I used to, but just last week, just last week, I watched Action News and I marveled at how little the formula has changed. How so much in terms of the, I'll give you one ridiculous example that would only occur to somebody with an attenuated eye for television production, but the graphics at the end done in such a, a deliberately rudimentary way, like they haven't changed since the seventies, those graphics. Hey, if it ain't broke, you know, why fix it? Okay. Well, a new analysis has just been published that has me thinking about the ramifications of how they've captivated my neighbors and me. And something I didn't realize, how Channel 6 in my hometown set the standard for television news all across the country. Layla Jones just wrote the analysis to which I refer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. It is posted in all of my social media, including in today's newsletter, and it's under the headline, How a Philly-Born Brand of TV News Harmed 
Black America. Hey, Layla, thank you so much for being here. I appreciated what you wrote. It made me think, which I guess was the objective. Who is Tyrone Williams and what happened 35 years ago to him? Well, hello, and thank you for having me. Um, Yes, Tyrone Williams is a Philadelphia native. He grew up in Alney, which is a working-class neighborhood in Philadelphia in the north part of the city. And it used to be a really uh, diverse neighborhood, uh, white, Asian, Hispanic, and black. Um, Today, it is a majority neighborhood of color and mostly black people. Uh, About 35 years ago, Tyrone Williams was involved in a racial brawl. Um, And what happened was a group of white young men and teenagers basically jumped out of a bush um, next to his family's home, declared it was inward night, and then began attacking Tyrone, his brother Barry, and tried to stab their mother. Um, When they tried to stab their mother, Tyrone jumped in front of them and and took that, that stabbing. Um, but their family was jumped for no other reason than being black and being in that neighborhood at that time. Um, Tyrone said this was something that had happened before. That group of white guys was kind of known to be a little annoying and a little aggressive, especially toward black people. Um, but this incident, because he almost died, it, it, it drew media attention. And uh, Action News that you were just referring to, Eyewitness News on Channel 3, even the newspapers, they came out to the block and they, they, covered, they covered the incident. Um, he felt like it was covered well, but looking back on it, there are definitely some things left unanswered. So what is it that we can glean? What can we learn from this incident and its coverage that you think tells a bigger story about television news in Philly and how the model spread across the country? Yeah, well, one thing Tyrone said when I asked, was it typical to see the news in your neighborhood? You know, it seemed he hadn't really thought about it, and he said, no. He was like, I guess they only came when something blew up. And so that kind of is indicative of the action news and eyewitness news format, where they're fast-moving, they come to certain neighborhoods only when something bad happens or something disastrous happens. Um, They drop in, you know, parachute journalism, we might call it. And then they leave. They don't return for the follow-up. So some of that follow-up, you know, some, some things that went unanswered for Tyrone, the individual that stabbed him, he said, was, was charged with ethnic intimidation rather than, you know, perhaps attempted murder. He said the police um, mishandled this case. He said they were racist. Those were his words and that they kind of left him there bleeding. His father and brother were arrested and spent a night in jail. And these are all things that, I mean, this happened to Tyrone and he doesn't know why. And, you know, kind of the reason he doesn't know why, um, I would argue, and the piece argues, is that there wasn't significant and sufficient follow-up from the television news, and it's because that's not their job. They're there to drop in, give a quick bite of a black neighborhood, it's usually something negative, and then disseminate that um, representation to their viewership. Uh, their viewership is within Philadelphia, but it's also the surrounding suburbs where you talked about you grew up. Um, in Philadelphia surrounding suburbs, a lot of them are mostly white. They have a higher income level, and they don't necessarily come to live in or are from the city of Philadelphia. So the news is really their only view of the city and sometimes of black and brown people in mass. Layla, was there something unique to Philly at the outset before 
as you argue, eyewitness and action news model spread? In other words, hasn't it always been the mantra that if it bleeds, it leads? What was unique to Philly? Sure. Well, actually, um, Philadelphia is really the home of what created what we know to be news today. And it's funny because you don't really think of TV news as something that was made. At least if you're of a certain generation, it's just always been there. But prior to this, it was really just a newsreader format, kind of like radio on TV. One person reading the stories of the day, and it was mostly national news. But in 1965, um, a news director came to Philadelphia. Uh, you know, nothing necessarily special at that time, but that person learned that he could monetize the news by putting a lot of reporters on TV, kind of assigning a beat system, and really, really localizing it. That was the start of what news is today. That was eyewitness news. And the reason that it spread, um, you know, not necessarily because it's from Philly, but because it made money. And so whereas before news was all about being a public service, uh, the, the news on television didn't really make stations money and networks. Really, sometimes it even cost them money. Um, now it became about profit. And so profit kind of um, morphed the question of what's newsworthy into what will people watch. And so in response to the domination of eyewitness news on Channel 3, Action News, which you said, you know, has been number one almost since it debuted in 1970, came out and tried to do something even better, even faster, even quicker, even more catchy, and even more sensational. Um, that's kind of where you get a lot of this quick crime you- coverage. This Mm-hmm. And you say in the piece that the two Philly originals, Eyewitness and Action News, then spread to major markets in more than 200 U.S. cities from Atlanta to San Francisco. If I had to highlight one paragraph of your piece that lays out the thesis, I think it would be this, quote, as local TV news ratings rose and ad earnings rolled in through the end of the 20th century, Philadelphia lost hundreds of thousands of white residents to the suburban locales seen in newscast commercials for four-door sedans, Ethan Allen bedroom sets, and real estate brokerages. Images of white families in tidy subdivisions and spacious homes broke up dispatches that more often than not cast the city and its black residents in a negative light. In other words, what you're really arguing is that this presentation of news is what fueled white flight from the city, and all of a sudden now the suburbanites were tucked in their beds looking at a 11 o'clock newscast just being grateful that they weren't living amidst all that crime in the city. How am I doing? Yeah, I mean, I think that is a great analysis, and I think that is one of the things that we raised here is that, you know, um, in addition to the other societal factors happening in the city at the time, the way the news portrayed uh, black and brown communities, Philadelphia specifically, fueled fear. And there are reports that um, support that. It shows that the TV news fueled fear and supported people leaving the city, supported people um, supporting mass incarceration and different policies that put black and brown people in jail disproportionately. And it was done on purpose because, like you said, like you just read there, the point was about rising ratings and rising revenue. How did they want to increase their revenue? By getting ad dollars. How did they want to increase their ad dollars? By giving white suburban audiences. And so it created this uh, unequal dichotomy where every story almost about black people was negative, was crime, was disaster. 
And then if there were some negative stories about white communities, they would be balanced by positive stories about charity events in the suburbs, about backyard festivals, um, different things because the uh, news directors purposely wanted to make suburban residents, white residents, feel seen, whereas uh, the impact of black residents was irrelevant to them. You talk about, you introduce us to Al Primo. He, he would be the guy you would say is the father of this model of newscast. Is that fair? He modeled Action News, um, and then there was another one named Frank Maggot who came and followed up and kind of tweaked it for, um, I'm sorry, he modeled Eyewitness News. And then Fred Maggot tweaked it for Action News. So here, I just wanted to introduce that name before I read this graph from your piece. By 1987, violence and crime were the crux of Primo's News Formula 2, according to studies of TV stations that hired him to guide their programming. Between that year and 1990, 40% of all television news stories about violence and crime came from Primo Consulted stations, according to analysis of the impact of consultants on local news programming. His stations covered crime and violence five times as much as stations that didn't hire him. This is really what I wanted to get to with my guest, Layla Jones, which is, well, what was the alternative? Because the stories were accurate, right? There really was crime being committed. They were showing real stories perpetrated by real people. What are you advocating, that they should have shown less crime? Yeah, thank you for asking that. The solution would have been um, balance and a reflection of reality. So what a lot of the experts I talked to said was that the way TV news covered crime was not how it really looked on the ground. So, you know, we watch local TV news. It's always murder, you know, assault, violence. And those are the smallest percentage of crime, purse snatching, robberies, things that are, you know, um, less violent, maybe even victimless burglary. That's a higher percentage of crime. But, you know, Larry Kane told me um, that crimes like purse snatching and robbery were things that he didn't necessarily consider newsworthy because he said, quote, they happened in every community. They weren't anything special. So they focused on purpose, on things that were unusual, and that created a false narrative about the frequency that these things occurred. Um, you know, if you watch the news, you would think someone was murdered all day, every day in Philadelphia. I live in Philadelphia and West Philadelphia, and that's not true at all. Um, and at the same time, there are people on the ground making a difference. There are always positive things happening in every neighborhood. But you might get those stories about white communities. You don't get those positive stories about black communities. Layla, I remember about 15 years ago, the Philadelphia Daily News had a controversial cover where it was mugshots of individuals then wanted for murder in Philadelphia. They, 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 the law enforcement couldn't find them. Uh, and, and actually, the background of the story, as I remember, was that the police department went to the Daily News and said, can you help us? Because we, we've got some folks on the street who are dangerous and we need the public's assistance. So the Daily News ran all of these mugshots, 15 or 20 of them. They were all people of color. And there was a hue and cry from the community after it happened. And the Daily News apologized. What they had published was accurate. But the, you know, the, the perception was that the paper had aired because it created this image of only black people and Hispanic people being perpetrators of crime. I hope I'm explaining this well. 
But the the response mm-hmm. the response from some, and I was in this category, was to say, "Well, wait a minute. The Daily News was accurate in what they were publishing. Why shouldn't they have helped law enforcement do that?" I don't know if you see a connection between what I just said and and the issue that you have written about. But if you do, I'd I'd love to hear your thought. Definitely, I think that um, anyone who lives in a majority black community in Philadelphia would never say they want their neighborhoods, you know, portrayed completely through rose-colored glasses. They want accurate news. You know, neighbors appreciate knowing what's happening in their community. But if you want to be objective, if you want to be fair, like the news claims to be, you tell the full story. And the full story of Philadelphia's black and brown communities is not one of violence. There's a lot of positivity. There's a lot of mundane things, people going to work, people going to school. And those images might be shown on the news for white communities. They might show their backyard festival or in commercials. You just see white people doing regular life things, and you don't see that kind of balance for black people. So if in that case, because I'm familiar with what you talked about with the Daily News, if the Daily News had a reputation of always being fair and balanced and showing black and brown people in all walks of life, I think that, you know, no one would have been as upset to see um, the cover that that riled the community members, but because media often fail to cast black people in the full scope of their humanity, um, yeah, it's, it's not balanced and it's not objective at all. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS. 
Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. I, I, we're not going to give it all away because I want people to read your analysis. It's in all my social media right now. It's in our newsletter, on the website. I'm, I'm doing all I can do to make sure that people have access um, uh, to it. But, but make sure you, you explain this to me. Big picture, step back, because you've made the argument here that there was this model of a certain type of newscast. It began in Philly. It spread across the country. You think that it had a destructive influence on the perception of people of color. How far do you take it? Like what 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 damage do you think on a nationwide basis was done by this business model? I think that. My piece doesn't take it really as far as it could go. I think that it's a really, really harmful um, depiction of black people, and I think that it it caused a lot of brokenness in the country. For example, um, I touched earlier on how there are studies that show viewers of local TV news are more likely to feel fear than people who don't do it all the time. They're more likely to support harsher criminal justice um, penalties and they're more likely to assume that a perpetrator shown on the news when his race isn't mentioned is a black person. These are things that have been studied and proven, experts told me, in labs. In 1994, there was a judge who refused to sentence a black, um, a black person who had been committed of a crack cocaine crime because he, the judge said that legislators used racist media depictions and particularly talked about television and broadcast media, depictions of crack, crack users, crack dealers, uh, to create the omnibus drug legislation, to create, um, you know, the system that has jailed black and brown people at disproportional rates for lesser crimes than it jails white people um, for generations. And so I think that, yeah, the harm goes really, really far, and that means that there's a lot of work to do to fix it. Final question, and thanks for being so gracious with your time. Uh, as you interviewed people to write this analysis, did you find folks who said, yes, this is the way it was reported and it was harmful to the community and we told them so? Or was it incremental and people really didn't, if they accept your thesis, like the folks in the community, were they aware that this was happening or it was so cumulative that a decade or two or three had gone off the clock before people finally recognized this is really harmful? I think they were definitely aware. I talked to a woman named Purple Blackwell who runs her own grassroots um, independent media organization. She grew up in the Philadelphia area in Chester. And she said that the news as a young child made her scared of her own communities and her own people. Um, and I think that, you know, racism in media or the failure to depict black people accurately in the media is not new. It's something that's as old as the country, really, as old as media in general. And so I think black people are always cognizant of whether or not they're being depicted fairly. And, you know, we all have our reasons as to why we think it is. But I think here, and I want to make a point um, that I don't think this piece says. No one I talked to, Al Primo, Larry Kane, Vernon Odom, these are all people who were in the um, local media industry. I don't think anyone would say that the newsmakers purposely targeted black people because they hate black people and because they want them to look terrible on the media. But they were told by experts that this is what their format was doing, and they didn't care, they didn't change it, and they knew that black communities were collateral damage for their money-making mission um, in local TV news, whereas 
white suburbs were kind of who they wanted to reach and who they want to appeal to. And I think that that's where the fault lies with them. I think that's a really tight summation of what this is all about. All right. Nicely done, Layla Jones. Thank you so much for your willingness to come and discuss your work. Thank you for having me. Have a good one. This is the Smirconish Podcast from SiriusXM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. Bill, I understand that you've got some expertise in the broadcast biz. What do you make of what Layla just told us? I agree with her 100%. Some of the things I think she left out, I have to admit, I did come in sort of on the tail end, and you were talking about was it balanced. Um, It wasn't balanced. I remember when Al Primo came into the market, I started my career at PVI, and it was all based on research. And the audience says, they like crime. You would talk to them and no one would admit they like crime, but the evidence said they like crime. So television stations, and in those days, especially in Philadelphia, if you remember, KYW was downtown. Yep. CAU and PVI were out in the main line. But the yep. excuse was we could get black crime because it was easier and more convenient to get to. The problem, though, was there was major white crime. And during the early 60s and mid-60s, as you recall, in South Philadelphia, there was a lot of white-on-white crime that never got on the air to the amount that the black crime did in all the other areas. Larry Kane, my mentor, quoted in this piece saying this, Crime became a large part of the newscasts of the city, and I will tell you why. Crime was cheap to cover. It was easy to cover. The assignment desk said to the cameraman, you shoot the scene, you shoot the blood, you shoot the victims, whatever they got, and you can do it in 20 seconds. He's absolutely correct. It's very convenient. Why would you drive way out to Conshohocken or Doylestown 
or the main line when you can go right there in North Philadelphia or West Philadelphia, which is convenient to the station. Well, but I also think it probably, I mean, when you say that it worked, that's obvious in the ratings. And the reason it worked is, I think, because fear is is key. We tune in and we see that something bad happened. We're, we don't want it to happen to us, and we don't want anybody coming into our uh, house. So you're going to keep watching to make yes. sure that they've caught whoever was responsible for it. No question. It, it was all rating-driven. Rating Higher ratings means more revenue. But Bill, it wasn't thanks. balanced coverage. Thanks for the phone call. And that is and that is what my guest uh, said. Patrick, Tucson, Arizona. Does this make sense to you, or do you come down on a different side? It makes sense to me, Mike. I've lived in many different cities, and I've seen this on the local news constantly. I don't see it so much in Tucson for some reason. I don't think they take that tack of, uh, you know, going after the local black communities and, you know, cheaply getting the news on. But I tell you, I don't understand really how they how they make a profit on that is it because they get people looking at all they want to look at all that i personally don't want to even watch tv when that's all they're covering you know i think it's pretty addictive i, I think it, it's something in our dna that makes maybe not you but makes a lot of us keep keep looking and keep coming and, and keep coming back uh this is john in nashville tennessee john your thoughts are what yes i, I agree with uh, the callers, because I worked in television myself for several years, and what happens is, because it is easier to sensationalize a black-on-black, uh, say, crime in the city, because most times, if you ask any person of color, when they hear a story coming on, first thing they, they're thinking is, I hope it's not a black person that done it, because we're so inundated with that that we find ourselves always hoping and praying that's not the case. Many times our life is just as boring as anybody else's, but we're always depicted to have that crime in our neighborhoods, and we, we know better. We go out our doors and go to stores, go to churches, go to school, wherever. We're thinking that life is normal. It's only when we hear the story on the news that we realize that our communities are being portrayed as something that's not the norm. But, John, we're, let's be clear. Nobody is saying a murder shouldn't get covered because there's a black perpetrator or a black victim, right? That's not where we're coming from. No, not at all, because there are, again, when crime is committed, and depends on what part of the city it's committed in, you might get a blur a blurb or two on it, but if it's a, a say, black uh, crime that was committed by a black person, it seems to get more sensationalized because it does sell. We are living in a, a sensational-driven uh, time when everything that is sensationalized will get broadcast because that's what sales media. I, I appreciate your sentiment, John. Thank you for that. A lot, a lot of folks calling in, by the way, who not only have opinions, but have experienced working in a newsroom. Well, what was that daily news cover? Was I around when you wrote about that? Because you've discussed that in the past. And I remember, I'm just trying to think if I was there. I can picture it. I can picture that daily news cover as you were describing it to Layla. I think it made the cut. For uh, clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. The American actual, life. Yeah. The actual column. Yeah. About what 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 happened was Philadelphia Daily News published so a cover story, a cover story that had mug shots that were all people of color. They were all wanted for murder. Currently in Philadelphia at that time, at that they time. were out on the street. Right. And law enforcement wanted help from the public. Help us find these are bad guys. 
So the public, the, the newspaper published it. And and there were a lot of objections because people thought it reinforced stereotypes. My opinion was that the Daily News was justified in doing what they were doing. The Daily News apologized for the cover. I was then a columnist for the Daily News, wrote a column and said, hey, we shouldn't have apologized. Do you still agree with that? Yes. I, I want those 15 wrapped up. And if the alternative is 15 or however many there, there were. But my view was that... It, that whatever harm would be caused by uh, perpetrating some stereotype outweighed was outweighed by the need to remove 15 or 20 murderers from the street. And, and it was it was the newspaper was trying to do a good thing of reducing crime by getting these folks uh, out of circulation. But it became a huge debate. And then my column became a huge subject of debate. More on all of this in a moment. But, but by the way, read Layla's piece. It's well done, and it's it's a great conversation starter. Even if you don't agree with everything, it'll make you think. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.